Amen. Please be seated. Church, we are really blessed to have Pastor Jody come to share God's Word. I was thinking about our 30th anniversary. Jody has been here since right near the start. And she is still as vibrant, as energetic, as passionate about Jesus Church as ever before. What a blessing she is to us as a church. Isn't that true, church? Can we welcome Jody as she comes to share God's Word to us? Thank you, Nathan. It is good to be here. I am still vibrant and passionate about the church of Jesus. He called me a long time ago to serve Him in this place. And it is my privilege, church, to do that for as long as He enables me to. <laughs> Pete's having a like conversation with me in the front row and I'm just feeling a little bit like I should respond, but I'm, good. I'm not going to go there. Thank you, Pete. We wanna pray as we come to God's Word now. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege it is to gather together here in your presence, to open up your word and to hear from you. That's our heart's desire today, God. These wouldn't be human words or my words. This is your word speaking to us. Reveal your heart for us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been in this series of Genesis, studying God's story of beginnings. Beginnings are often full of excitement, aren't they? Think about the beginnings of a new relationship, a new job, new babies, as we've celebrated today. Even the beginning of the opening ceremony was, of the Commonwealth Games was just full of anticipation and excitement. I didn't actually make it all the way through but there was a lot of anticipation and excitement there as we watched our team on the world stage. And as we read about God in this creative, supernatural forming of the universe, the world, humans, and even our purpose, we sit in anticipation of all that a picture-perfect garden of Eden life would hold. This is God's garden. His presence dwells here. He is the source of all creative power, giving life to creation and sustaining life in creation. If there is a picture-perfect definition of shalom, the garden is it. This Hebrew word for peace captures the rich, integrated, relational wholeness that God intended for His creation. Adam and Eve walk with God. They rejoice in each other. The garden's fertile soil provides all that is needed to tend to plants and animals. Life in perfect harmony. As created beings, Adam and Eve are fully and wonderfully human as they live out their freedom under God's reign. Part of being human is a freedom to choose, a freedom to respond, to enjoy to God's blessing, a freedom to worship God in His magnificent glory, freedom to enjoy connection in relationship with Him, freedom to work, freedom to eat, freedom to live in awareness of their dependence and obedience on God's design. And in this idyllic life God has provided, who wouldn't choose God's way here? Life surely does not get better than this. 
but in the excitement and expectation of these beginnings into this beautiful life enters without warning the jarring presence of an enemy. And as Pastor Peter unpacked so well last week, this shrewd and crafty enemy Satan in the form of a serpent tempts this man and woman to go against God, causing them to doubt God's goodness and God's truth. The fruit of the tree that God told them not to eat changes from something which is not even in their line of sight to the most beautiful, inviting, delicious looking fruit they'd ever seen. The woman took the fruit and ate it and gave it to her husband and he ate it too. And this garden full of life is suddenly marred by sin. You might think that eating the fruit doesn't seem like such a bad thing to do. Morally, is that so bad? But it represents this act of rebellion against God, a direct disobedience of God's word, choosing their own desires instead of God's truth, listening to the voice of Satan and ignoring God's commands, even an attempt to be God's equal, luring them into the, to the thinking that life could actually be more than what they know and experience now. And right here, there is another beginning, the beginning of sin. And it doesn't quite hold the same sense of excitement and anticipation, does it? The rest of chapter three unfolds with the consequences of sin coming into this life-giving garden. We're going to read some of these verses together now. Genesis chapter 3 from verse 7. At the moment Adam and Eve ate of this fruit, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. This chapter in the Bible is often referred to as the fall. And very quickly it turns into a downward spiral here, doesn't it? The consequences are immediately noticeable. You can see here our book of beginnings now includes a whole new set of firsts. Shame, fear, Hiding, blaming, and sowing. That was a joke. Eight o'clock didn't get it either. I just wanted to get in a little shout out to the Bridgie Sewing Groups here this morning. Bless you. And they have experienced redemption of sewing in Jesus. I just wanted to add that. 
Adam and Eve's attempt at sowing fig leaves is so typical of the instinctive human response to cover up that feeling of being exposed by sin. Can you relate? Have you ever been guilty of hiding the empty packet of Tim Tams or potato chips that you shouldn't have eaten in one sitting? Or hiding the receipt of something you probably shouldn't have purchased? Or hiding the messages on your phone or the history on your computer? The shame and fear of our sin exposed makes us want to cover it up. Hiding seems like our best option. Adam and Eve sewed their own fig leaves together in an attempt to cover their shame. One Bible commentary said, here is the beginning of religion right there. Humans, in their own efforts trying to cover up sin to be good enough for God. Immediately there is a rift in their relationship with God. His once welcome presence in the garden is now feared. The thought of coming into the presence of a holy God when we fall so far short of Him in our sin is a fearful thing. Sin affects relationships. Did you notice the blaming that goes on here when God gives them an opportunity to own what they have done? The buck is passed from man to the woman and from the woman to the serpent. When I first wrote this, I was gonna say, if you had anything to do with children, you know what this is like, but I had to change that. If you have anything to do with humans, you know how disappointing and frustrating these conversations are. You just want someone to take responsibility and own up for their mistakes. So what is actually going on here? Adam and Eve were created for life. And as soon as they ate that fruit, they crossed over from life to death. God warned them about the consequence of death if they ate from the tree. But they ate the fruit and their eyes were opened. Transparency, sorry, their carefree nakedness that was part of living in perfect transparency and harmony with God and each other was immediately dissolved. They are suddenly aware of the awful truth of their disconnect with God, their independence from Him. And for the first time in their existence, a feeling of being inadequate and not good enough overtakes them. Death enters as an evil force reversing the life God created. And so from this moment, humans enter into a diminished existence. If you feel disappointed and let down by living in a sin-ravaged world, it is understandable. You weren't created to, to enjoy death. You were created for life. The contrast is stark here. Life turns to death, harmony to separation, trust to distrust, ease to dis-ease, flourishing to struggle, freedom to shame. Adam and Eve's choice to disobey God opened a door for sin to enter into the world. And it is the condition we and every human since are born into. 
Paul puts it this way. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. We are born into humanity which is tainted, stained by sin. We see it in the world around us, we see it in our own lives. We see it in little children, don't we? We are born into this problem of sin and we are incapable of doing anything to change it. Covering it up doesn't help. Hiding from it doesn't help. The fallenness of our nature leaves every one of us with a sin problem that only God can address. And what is God's response here? Genesis is revealing the character and heart of God as He deals with humanity. We get to know God by what He does and says in this book. And right here, humans, the crowning glory of His creation, have rejected Him. But God doesn't give up on them. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't wipe them out. He doesn't get angry or spiteful. He doesn't even give them the silent treatment. Adam and Eve hear him walking in the garden and they hide. But God calls to them. In verse 9 of chapter 3, Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? It is significant here that God continues to be referred to as the Lord God in the text. Translated from the Hebrew, Jehovah Elohim. Pete referred to it last week in his message. God is still the omnipotent, uniplural God of creation. Let's be absolutely clear that sin has not changed God in this story. He is the eternal, unchanging Lord of grace and mercy. And through these experiences, Adam and Eve are coming to know more of this part of his character. I imagine that before when God was walking in the garden, Adam and Eve would have joined him enthusiastically, maybe even run to seek him out, maybe asking questions about the creation, learning about how this amazing world worked. But now when God calls, where are you? Adam and Eve hide themselves from God's presence. This is the tragic result of sin. Outside of God's presence, we are lost. God knows our sin. Psalm 69 verse 5 says, God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. Psalm 139 verse 7 says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You're everywhere, God. I can't hide from you. And even in our sin, God reaches out to us. He calls out to us. He seeks after us. God is not forced to act here. He does not need human love and devotion for his existence. We have seen his power as created God. And now we see his character of loving compassion Kindness. It's the motivating factor for his moving towards us 
even in our sin, offering redemption to us. Our guilt and shame can stop us from recognising that this is actually the heart of God. He longs to be restored in relationship with his children. He calls to us. He gives us an opportunity to come to him. God here actually gives Adam and Eve a chance to explain, a chance to come clean and own what they've done. As soon as we start making excuses for our sin, it's a pretty good sign that we haven't come to accept the gravity of it. And I just wonder if Adam and Eve miss an opportunity for repentance and restoration right there when God asked what they'd done. I wonder what would have happened if they'd owned their sin in that moment before God instead of blaming Sin has definitely taken a firm hold here and there are judgments that are consequently pronounced in this chapter. I'm just gonna quickly glance over some of these, but go home and read them and check them out in your connect groups this week as you study this word. There is a judgment on man. God does not directly curse people in this story. He cannot curse what he plans to save and redeem. Man's consequence here involves his work. Work is, work is actually not the punishment here. Hear that this morning. Work was part of God's design before sin entered into the world. But here we see that man's work will involve hardship and frustration. It'll be a struggle. The other consequence here for man is that at the end of his days, he will return to dust. There's a consequence of sin for the woman here. In verse 16, God says, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Note here the distortion sin brings into the marriage relationship. If you have ever struggled in your marriage, there might be one or two of you here this morning. That was also a joke. You can stop blaming your spouse. You can stop blaming them. Your struggle is a result of sin. Humans cannot fix a sin problem. Only God can do that. Even nature does not escape the impact of sin. Thorns and thistles appear. The ground is cursed. Paradise becomes a wilderness. And the serpent is judged. The serpent in this story is not even given an opportunity to speak. Did you notice that? I think that's a hot tip from God this morning. Don't even let that serpent speak. Don't let Satan have his word. He's not given an opportunity to plead his defence. He is cursed by God. There is no intention of redemption or salvation for him. The final verses of this chapter are titled in my Bible, Paradise Lost. From verse 20, then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve. Before this point, we just know them as man and woman because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take the fruit from the tree of life and eat it? 
Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. God's righteousness demands the judgment and the punishment of sin. He is righteous and holy. God is perfect. He can't overlook sin. He can't just turn a blind eye to what has happened here. There are always consequences for going against God. From here on, daily life would be a struggle for humanity. They would live in the consequence of their sin and so would their descendants after them. It's a heavy sermon this morning, isn't it, church? But in the midst of dishing out judgment, it's easy to miss that God's justice and his grace go together. He cannot be one without the other. We struggle to, we as humans struggle to find the lines around justice and love, grace and truth. But in the heart of God, they fit perfectly together. God has given his judgment here, but we also see his love that moves him to remedy this dilemma of sin. Even here in the fall, God's grace looms large. And maybe you would miss the grace in this story if you weren't really looking for it. I think it's easy to overlook and misinterpret God's grace as we read the Old Testament, but it's there. One Genesis commentator said that the the judgments themselves made here are in and of themselves an act of grace. In the most basic areas of life, sin causes dis-ease, discomfort, dissatisfaction. Marriage will not give us everything we want. Children are fraught with pain from birth and onward. Work, just had to add that in. Work is a struggle. None of these things will satisfy us. And isn't that grace? That they don't? Because it will drive us with a willing soul to seek God and be reminded of our need of Him. In our sin, we think being independent is a good thing until we come to the end of ourselves and realise our dependence on God and our need for Him, we will remain outside of His gracious presence. In the passage we just read, God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden so they cannot eat from the tree of life. I first thought that was harsh. Why would God do that? But actually I see now that's an act of grace. God prevents humans in their sinful state from eating of the tree that would make them live forever in their pain and suffering. Isn't that grace? Death is actually a merciful act here and it is out of love that God protects this tree from Adam and Eve. There's another really interesting grace moment in this chapter. I wanna draw you back to verse 15 and God's judgment over the serpent. Here God says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman 
and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This might at first glance sound like a mutual dislike between humans and snakes, which I can totally relate to. And that's probably what I saw when I first read it. But actually it's much more. This passage throughout church history has been referred to as the proto-evangelium or the first gospel. The gospel right here in Genesis 3. No sooner had sin taken place, God is enacting His grace in a plan to deliver humanity from Satan. And He declares it right here in the the midst of His judgment pronounced over sin. From the offspring or the seed of the woman, God would bring a deliverer in Jesus Christ. Satan will strike his heel. We see that in Jesus' suffering on the cross, his death. But Christ would strike Satan's head through his death and resurrection. God was the only one who could deal with the problem of sin. And even as Adam and Eve were grappling with the enormity of what they had done, God was already pointing to a day when He would change this defeat into victory. Amen? Jesus, God in Elohim at the beginning of the garden came to earth, born as a woman, entered our sin-stained world. Satan was prepared for a battle. Remember the story about Herod trying to kill all the babies? Remember 40 days without food, being tempted by Satan, but Jesus resisted sin. Satan's battle with Jesus continued to the cross where no doubt Satan thought he had finally won the victory over God. How wrong he was. Jesus' death on the cross was the very act that rescued humanity from the death of sin we deserved. Jesus took our sin upon himself. There was a beautiful moment in Alpha just a couple of weeks ago. Um, In the video, Why Did Jesus Die? Nikki Gumbel takes the Bible and he said, we were created for relationship with God, but our sin, our sin gets in the way. Isaiah 53, 6 puts it this way. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, his own way. But the Lord takes on our sin. Jesus went to the cross taking on our sin so we could be free to have relationship with God again. He deals with our sin problem. When the guy in our Alpha class saw that illustration, something dropped for him. He was so amazed at this moment, this recognition of God taking on his sin, making it possible for him to have relationship. He was so excited about it. He made one of the other leaders take a photo of him holding the Bible like this. A moment, a reminder of the significance of realising that we need a saviour and we have one available to us. Jesus' resurrection was proof that death had been defeated and life in our Creator was available again for anyone who believes in Him. This is the victory Jesus won over sin.
This is God's solution to the problem we could not fix or cover up or run away from. And just as soon as sin marred God's creation, He was pointing to the one who would come and be our deliverer from it, our Redeemer, who would make the death payment for sin in our place and restore us to life in Him. No wonder it's called good news. In verse 20, when Adam names his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live, I think it's a really powerful moment of Adam placing his faith in this promise God gives, even in the midst of that judgment, that one day there would be victory over evil. One day life would be available to humanity again. It's a sign calling Eve the mother of the living in the midst of this pronouncement of death is a sign of Adam's changed heart. It's a sign that he's received the kindness of God and been humbled to repentance as God reaches out to him and provides the solution in his mess. Finally, in verse 20, the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. I think this is like a seal over this affirmation of restored relationship, restored faith in God. An animal was sacrificed for Adam and Eve to be covered for their sin. It was probably the first moment that they actually witnessed death as God took an animal and killed it to give them clothing. And this is our first glimpse of atonement that would echo in God's Word. The covering for sin involved a blood sacrifice, even right back here in Genesis 3. Later at the Passover, there was one lamb sacrificed for a household. In the law on the Day of Atonement, there would be a lamb sacrificed for the nation as a payment for sin. And in the ultimate, ultimate completion of this sacrificial system, Christ comes, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Can you see what Genesis 3 is pointing to? Can you see what God is proclaiming right here in the midst of our mess? We have a Saviour church. In Romans chapter 5, Paul goes on to say, For the sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Hear that good news this morning. Sin came into the world and man and woman crossed over from life to death. But Jesus came into the world and died for our sins so that believing in Him, we might cross from death to life. Where sin had entered to reverse life, Jesus reverses the consequence of sin and restores life. the law of sin and death would operate in the human family until the end of time. 
but the death and resurrection of the Saviour would introduce a new law. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Amen. Can I hear an amen, church? Adam and Eve could never go back to that garden. But in Jesus, in Jesus, we now have restored access to the presence of God and life in Him. We have relationship with our Lord God. He gives us His Spirit, living water that started back in that garden. The picture in the garden is for us now in His Spirit flowing out of God to us, flowing out of us. We are clothed in the righteousness of God. He clothes us with His righteousness. Our filthy rags are gone. And we will live forever in eternity with Him where all things will be made new and restored, where that enemy will be done away with for good. The consequence of our sin is great, but the grace of our heavenly Father and His heart to rescue and restore us is so much greater, church. Hear that this morning. Hear that. There is no one outside of that grace. I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond to God this morning. Do you hear God saying today, where are you? Are you hiding from him? Are you trying to cover up or pretend that everything's okay? Are you using religion to try and make yourself right? We can so easily know about God. Maybe we've grown up hearing and acknowledging Him all our lives, but we miss the opportunity to respond when He asks where we are. Where's your heart at this morning? Don't miss the opportunity to come when He's calling us. Don't miss the grace that is in Him for us to admit our sins and own our failures and receive His kindness as He leads us to repentance, humility and surrender before Him. Some of you have been trying to do your life your own way. I do that. We strive to be independent and strong. But in doing that, the gap between us and God actually grows wider. If you're feeling like God is your judge today, He's calling you to respond as His child. Know His love, know His way. There's a word here today too for those in the pain and struggle of life in a sinful world. The struggle of children marriage, relationships, the struggle of work, the spiritual battle with the enemy, maybe the struggle of physical death. God wants to breathe His life into your situation. Ask for God's help. It's okay to need Him. Pray with someone today. 
We'll have people to pray at the front in the little prayer corner up the back. God hasn't called us to be alone in this journey of faith. We stand with one another in the struggles here today. Ask for His presence to come. Ask Him to meet you in your circumstances. Ask Him to show you His grace this morning, church. Let's bow in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that your presence is here with us. Lord, in your grace today, you remind us of the gravity of our sin. The consequences of it, the death that it brings, God. It's the complete opposite of the life that you created for us to know. And you reached out in kindness to us, God. You provided a way for us to be restored to you, restored to life. And we don't want to miss this moment, God, of surrender. Whether it's for the first time or after a time of drifting our own way, God, we we surrender before you. We need you, God. We need you, Jesus. Thank you for the paying the price for us. Thank you for taking on my sin. Thank you for making life available to us in you. And God, I pray for a fresh wind, a fresh breath of your presence over us as your people here today a reminder of this gift of life that you've made available to us, a reminder that you're in the struggle with us. And as we look to you today, we declare that you are Lord, you are Saviour, you are Redeemer, you are restoring all things, making all things new, God, now and for eternity. Lord, we thank you for the gift of life that is ours today when we put our faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. We're going to stand and worship, church. If you want to take a moment to keep sitting, if you want to take a moment to come for prayer for any of those things, do that. But worship God this morning. Thank him for what he's done for us.
His blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my this beautiful song which expresses the good news of the gospel assurance found in Jesus if you're here this morning and you, you just you know you're in the midst of the impact of sin in our world and whatever that circumstance in your life might be wherever that might be and Jody's given some examples we'd love you to pray for you this morning just to ask God he cares deeply and he wants to help you in the midst of that he wants you to know freedom in Him. But if you're here this morning and you, as we sing those words, you, you don't know that blessed assurance in your own heart. You can't say, that's my story this morning. You've never known forgiveness of sins that we've heard about, the good news of the gospel. You've never had that moment of submitting to Jesus and Jesus, I believe in you. I trust in you. There's a beautiful verse on our Bible gift packs and it says this, John 5, 24. It says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, it says. He or she has crossed over from death to life. You can know that this morning. If you've never had that moment, you can make this morning that moment and you can experience the blessing of eternal life, blessed assurance. It can be your story this morning. You in Jesus, belonging to Him and the blessing, the, the assurance that brings to our life, the peace that brings, the freedom that can be known in Him. So if that's you this morning, you're saying, yeah, I've never had that moment. Then what I want to encourage you to do as we sing 
this next verse, I want you to make the words your own as a prayer of submission to Him. Jesus, you're my Saviour. I'm in you now. I'm going to submit my life to you. And in that moment, you can know too that assurance for yourself. It can be on your story this morning, forgiveness, eternal life in Him. And as we're singing, if you want prayer, you feel free to come down as well. But let's sing together. You make this yours. All is at rest. I in my Thank you, church. Let's put our hands together this morning. He's a good God, amazing Savior. If you, if you knew in that moment that was for you this morning, you, you, that was that moment you said, yes, Jesus, perfect submission, all is at rest this morning. I want to encourage you, if you came with someone, tell them that was my moment to cross over. And we'd love to give you one of these Bible gift packs to bless you and encourage you. If you're online this morning and you knew that was for you this morning as well, I'd love you to reach out to Helen, your host this morning, or email through to prayer at bridgman.org.au. And we'd love to encourage you and help you on your journey. But let me pray a blessing for us now. Lord, we thank you for this good news message. Thank you, Lord. This is the best news in all the world. Thank you that in you, Lord, we can know freedom and rest. We can know eternal life, Lord. And thank you, Lord. We don't have to wait till heaven to know that, Lord. We can know right here this morning, Lord. Eternal life begins right here and now in you. Thank you for forgiveness of sins, Lord. Thank you that you have overcome sin and death forever. And that we can have an assurance deep within our hearts this morning 
eternal hope. And so, Lord, we turn all back to praise now to you. And I pray your blessing on each and every one, both here and online as well. I pray this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Can we thank Jesus one more time this morning? Isn't he good? What an incredible message. You can grab a seat. Don't forget, if you'd like prayer, our prayer to me down the front, Bible gift packs here, our prayer lounge, our connections lounge. Welcome morning tea on this morning as well. Don't miss tonight, the baptism as well. God bless.